Epaphroditus. My man, good to see you. Come How here. Are you? Come here. Good to see you as well. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. You ready to do some riding? I am so pumped. What's it is <laughs> a dreary day, but I'm excited. Let's, so am I. Let's I'm, do it. I Have am you been working so, on your riding skills? I am so happy. <laughs> What's that drink they serve here? Do they call it espresso? Is that how they say it? I don't think that's it. I love it. Hey, I want you to take a letter. Yes. I know you're a writing instructor at Philippi High, and my uh, writing's terrible. So could you? You're feeling better, right? You're gonna head back to Philippi. You're gonna go back to teaching. Listen, Paul. If you want to write the letter, I'm here for you. All right. Uh, There's a room up here we can use. Come on up. Uh, have you got a writing implement? Uh, I do. Awesome. Uh, I made some notes. Timmy and I were talking about this letter, and I made some notes. I kind of wrote some things down okay. here. So, Go grab uh, your notes. All right. How's this for a beginning? Let's hear it. Paul and Timothy, mm-hmm. servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Uh, down. Uh, great. What What about mentioning the leaders here? You know, you know Lydia and those people. Uh, right. Why don't you just add um, together with overseers and deacons? Oh. Just throw that in. Sure. Works, works, works. Uh, grace and peace mm-hmm. to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Better, I know better. I like that one. I like it. Um, I want to say something about love. Timmy and I were talking about well, sure. saying something about love. How about mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers mm. for all of you. I always pray with joy. Mm. Mm, it's good. You do you really want all those alls, or uh, just take off the writing instructor hat for a second, yeah. Epi? Um, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, mm. being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. That's another all. Since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you, you mentioned could, your prayers earlier. Yeah. I'm just thinking maybe, you know, it's good to be specific in writing. Paul. Okay. So if you can mention maybe what you know, all right. you're praying for. Timmy and I took some notes here. Just just keep working okay, on this. Sure, sure. Okay. And this is my prayer. How's that? Got it. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and mm. depth of insight mm. so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless love for the it. day of Christ. Mm. Filled with the fruit. I guess you weren't finished. Keep going. Just, just keep typing. Okay. But... I'm so glad you're here. I am too. I am too. Uh, insert a few periods here and there. I mean, it's not bad, Paul. I'm just going to say just, I'm excited, but I'll, just take it for you know what you will. Just Carry take on. it from my lips 
They'll figure it out. Okay, okay. I trust you, boss. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Mm, yeah. I think... Can we mention something about what's happened to you? The whole prison thing? Ah, right. I did put some things down. Like, maybe if you stopped interrupting me, you'd get some of this. So here's what... Here's what Timmy and I thought it'd be good to say. Okay. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that mm. what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Mm. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear ah yes okay all right uh do you want to say anything about the people who are preaching about jesus just to build their egos i think you uh, know who i'm talking about here paul you know maybe i won't name names no no yeah good idea good why idea. don't no you names, say no something names. like yeah. uh it's true some preach christ out of some. envy mm, and uh, rivalry mm. but others out of goodwill. Mm -hmm. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense yes. of the gospel. Right, right, the right. former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, mm. not sincerely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I am so happy. Seriously? Just keep writing. Yes, I am. Okay, okay. And I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, not super clear that it's a good idea to mention death. Hey, keep it in here. there. Keep it in there. For to me, how, how, about, how about just imprisonment? Just imprisonment. Hear me out, Paul. I'm here for you. Write what I say, Epaphroditus. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Are you, are you getting that? Like, I want that in the letter. Oh, you want me to write that? Yes. Oh, keep going. Sure. Sorry. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which mm. is better mm. by far. Mm. But it's more necessary for you that I remain. Mm. And I'll continue with all of you. You can just use all y'all if you need to change that to something that works better for you. All of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Yeah. Yeah. Is that working for you? It's going great. Again, I, you know, a period here or there. But um, 
might be a good idea to say a word about some of the infighting, you know, Yodia and the other one. I think that's her name. Come on. I don't you know I'm terrible with names. You know, I will go into uh, the infighting in detail a little better. But why don't you okay. just okay. say in plan. this part. That's a plan. Good. Good. Uh, whatever happens, okay. conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit. I think you could leave the the out there. Just stand firm in one spirit. It's a little punchier. Yeah. Don't leave the the. Okay. Uh, but you can capitalize one, all capital letters, one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without like being it. frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Mm. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you'll be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you. You can use the plural you if you don't want to put all y'all there. I was already on it. But all right. On. Granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Mm. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's great, Paul. That's wonderful. My hands. All right. Carpal, carpal tunnel. You know. I know. I, I know. So you mind if we take a break? Let's do chapter two tomorrow. Sounds good. All right, that was chapter one. We just thought instead of standing and reading it, we could have a little a little banter between Epaphroditus and Paul as Epi is taking the letter back to the Philippians. Uh, but before we dive into the book of Philippians, which we're going to do now until July, let me give you the background. Here's how the story about Jesus came to Philippi. It started, so Paul and Barnabas are in uh, Antioch. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Do you know what they were called before that? Jews. Because in Antioch, there were so many Greeks worshiping uh, in a version of the synagogue that they needed a new name. Like, are these, who are these people? They're first called Christians in Antioch. And some folks start preaching to this Greek audience, you know you've got to follow the law of Moses to be a Christian. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, you don't. They're like, yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. Well, who has the authority here? Let's just go down to Jerusalem and ask those who lived with Jesus whether you have to follow the law of Moses because Barnabas and Paul are convinced that you don't. They journey down to... Uh, Jerusalem, and it's the first uh, church council in the history of the church. Happens in Jerusalem, and there's a group there, the Pharisees, the Pharisaical party of of the church. So uh, there's the group of Pharisees who are Messianic Pharisees, and others. And this question comes before them, and this debate arises. And the Pharisees pick the side of yes to the Jewish law. Peter's like, I had this thing happen to me, most of you know it, with a guy named Cornelius, 
who loved God, worshipped with the Jewish folk, but was uncircumcised, and Jesus told me it was okay. Here's how it happened. So Peter sort of defends this idea that you don't have to follow the Mosaic law, and it seems right. The, interesting, the person who kind of makes the, the final decision is James. Peter may have been the first pope, uh, but James is the one at this first council who says, okay, here's our decision. We're going to say no to following the Mosaic law to be a Christian. Christianity is really uh, a form of Judaism. It's like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes. Like this isn't, this is a, uh, they could have called it uh, Messianic Judaism. Like that, that's a fair name for Christians. We are a part of the Judaic faith and tradition. And yet there's some ways in which we are not bound by the Mosaic law. There's instruction there for us. It's informing our faith, but it's not uh, something that is a requirement in order to follow Jesus. So they write this letter, and they tell Paul, you go ahead and bring that, and you probably need another uh, person in the center here with us in Jerusalem to go with you to verify that this is the truth. We'll send Silas with you. So Paul and Silas, out of this Jewish council... Barnabas is with them. There are probably others. They go back to Antioch, and uh, the the believers there are so excited that this teaching about you've got to become circumcised, you've got to follow the entire uh, Mosaic law, is not. They do have to. It's interesting, this letter, and I want to get into, you know, here's the thing that you do have to obey. Um, Blood, strangled meat, I think there were some table fellowship issues that are being get, gotten at here. Like, uh, we, you, you still need to eat with uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters who do obey the Mosaic law. We don't want you to break table fellowships. So refrain from these things and from sexual immorality, but go and tell the believers there, the Greek believers, that they don't have to be circumcised. This is received with a lot of joy. Paul and Barnabas have been planting this church. Yes. Especially amongst the guys, like, this is good news. Um, and I don't know whether it's Barney or Paul who say, uh, let's go back and hit those Greek places, those Gentile places where we saw the church grow so that they know this stuff too. And Paul's like, great idea. Uh, and Barney's like, my cousin John Mark, let's bring him along. Paul says, no. He came, so this is after the first missionary journey, they go and they plant the gospel essentially in Turkey. They want to go back and deliver this letter to the uh, Greek uncircumcised believers, this good news, Silas, come, you know, and let's bring John Mark. Uh, And Paul's like, no, because in the first missionary journey, he bailed on us. Uh, it was a relatively uneventful. They saw one convert in Cyprus, and we don't know why, but it says in Acts that uh, John Mark took off. Paul's like, I'm not going to take a quitter. He needs to be tried. Barnabas like, this is my cousin. I vouch for him. Paul says, no. Barnabas says, yes. It became so sharp 
they divided ways. Like they could not get over the question of whether to bring John Mark, who also happened to pen the gospel of Mark, with them on this second missionary journey. So Barnabas takes Mark and they go to Cyprus. Barnabas is from Cyprus, so he's kind of his hometown. And Paul takes Silas and starts to go around and hit up the places that he did a year or two before on the first missionary journey. And this sort of pair of towns, Lystra and Derb, um, they meet up with Timothy. Now, he had become a Christian. His dad was Greek. He was uncircumcised. His dad was Greek. Mom was Jewish. He's a new Christian. This is the Timothy that uh, Paul begins traveling with here. He's just maybe a year too old in the Lord. And they have this kind of almost father-son or mentor-mentee relationship. Well, I want you to come along with me. So Paul's taking a one-year-in-the-faith convert with him on this other missionary journey. So Timothy joins Paul and Silas. And because of the tenses in the in the book of Acts, we know that Luke, or the author of the book, joins him. Uh, so we got Paul, we got Silas, we got Timothy, we got Luke, maybe there are others. And they keep trying to go east. And these interesting phrases, the spirit of the Lord would not allow them, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. I don't know what it is, why they got their visas denied trying to go east. But Paul has his dream, and this Greek guy shows up in his dream. This European Greek guy shows up in his dream and says, come help us. Paul wakes up. He's like, we got to go west. Let's go to Europe. Let's go to Greece, to Macedonia. So they take off, and they arrive at this major metropolitan area called Philippi. Philippi is a little Rome. There are not too many of these. Like, they follow the Roman law. They have Roman governance. You know, Romans allowed sort of uh, the indigenous peoples of the area to keep some forms of governance, but not Philippi. Philippi is a Roman city, so it's a really important place that is uh, a colony of Rome, an outpost of Rome. It's a little Rome there in, uh, in Greece. There's no synagogue, apparently. They, you need at least 10 Jewish guys to start a synagogue. And they go out to a, a river, a waterway, to look for, oh, are there not 10, but some other number, smaller, out there worshiping God. Paul's practice is, let's find the Jewish folk. Let's start there. They find this group of women led by a, a wealthy uh, merchant. I, I don't know. I think Lydia was likely either an importer of purple cloth. She's from Thyatira. That's a place that has this mollusk that when you crush it, it emits this sort of purple dye, and it was a color fast dye. Like it was a really important dye. And so it made this luxury good, purple cloth. Only the wealthiest. It was a very painstaking, expensive process. She's this wealthy woman. Is she divorced? Is her husband dead? We're not sure. It's apparent she has this decent estate. She's convinced these guys, who, by the way, group of uh, 
men from out of town coming to hang out with women, I'm sure all sorts of cultural improprieties were being crossed here. And yet the gospel sometimes comes with impropriety at times into these places. Like the cultural rules are being uh, likely upset here. But Lydia, perhaps others, are convinced that this is true. They've been following uh, the Jewish God. There may be some Jewish women. It's actually quite popular for Roman women or women in the Roman Empire who are not of Jewish descent. They were attracted to Judaism. I think Judaism likely gave them a decent stand. I don't know why. Roman women seem to have become uh, God-fearing Jews in large numbers. Lydia was one of them. She's convinced that this Jesus story, this Messiah story is true. She's become part of the Messianic Judaism uh, sect of Judaism. And she has these at least four guys, probably others, come and stay in her estate. So it's big. And then she has everyone who is part of her estate become Christian. Not given details. We're just told they're baptized. The whole lot of them, the whole household. And Paul and his companions are invited to come stay there. This is the church that Paul is writing to in Philippians. It's Lydia. It's maybe some of the women who are worshiping with her. She's got a house big enough. They're likely meeting. Church. The church building is Lydia's home. The Philippian church, first Christian church of Philippi, is really Lydia's home. So Paul continues his ministry. He's only there for uh, maybe three months. And the NIV says they were there for several days. It's likely a few months. And one of the people who's sort of drawing undue attention to them is a a demon-possessed slave girl who's got this spirit that can predict the future. And these guys who own her are making big bucks off of her. And she's shouting following them around, shouting, listen to these guys. They're telling you what you must do to be saved. And Paul eventually confronts the spirit and demands it leave. This girl is freed from this spirit that has controlled her and that others have profited by. Now these guys have no way of making money off of her. They're like, okay, this has got to stop. These men are telling us to do things that are unlawful to do. They're out-of-towners, and they're bringing a foreign religion here and telling people we can't be Romans anymore. Like, they've got another Caesar that they're... Like, there's something wrong here, and they need to be... And they whip up kind of a frenzy in Philippi. So Paul and Silas, now Timothy is Greek, so somehow he's not mentioned as being thrown in jail. Luke is Greek, maybe just these two Jewish guys, like, okay, put these guys in chains. So they beat them publicly, and they throw them in jail, and they're put in the sort of jail of jails inside the prison, and late at night, Paul's like to Silas, hey, let's do that round. 
you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, let's do that. And, and so Silas does the second bit. These guys are singing their hearts out. They're in the inner jail. And Luke tells us the other prisoners are just quiet listening to these guys sing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Maybe they pick up the tune. I don't know. It starts echoing through the jail. There's this earthquake. I love the kind of poetry of God. It's not um, Paul and Silas's prison door that opens. All of them open in the earthquake. Jubilee has come. Prisoners set free. The earthquake, I don't know if it pops the jail bars off their hinges or what, but all the jail doors open. And the prison guard sees it it's gone dark the you know it's either because it's night or because the earthquake uh you know there was an electrical shortage or something the lights go out or the flames go out he calls for the lights he's ready to kill himself because he knows that you know you guard these people with your life here's the motivation of the prison guards back then one of them ex- escapes then you you forfeit your life Okay, that motivates them to keep them safe. The prison doors are open. Surely there's been an escape. He's about to kill himself. Paul's like, wait, don't do that. We're all here. It's okay. And it's that, you know, I got to believe he was listening to them sing. His words, when Paul says we're all here, is what must I do to be saved? The thing that got them in jail is this girl saying, these guys will tell you what you must do to be saved. I wonder if the prison guard heard her. He's like, okay, so what is it? Like, obviously there's something transcendent about you. Believe in Jesus, be baptized, you and your household. Prison guard takes them out of jail, brings them home and washes their wounds. I mean, he's gonna get into big, big trouble even though no one escaped. Probably taking prisoners home to wash their wounds was not on the to-do list for the jailer. I kind of wonder, is this the guy that Paul dreamt about who's like, come and tell us what we must do to be saved? Like, so <laughs> Philippian jailer, he becomes a Christian and his whole household. Again, we've got these two households now and I'm sure Paul is like, the group that's meeting, do you know Lydia? Do you know where she lives? The group meets there. You and your whole household. The slave girl. I've got to believe Lydia took the slave girl under her wing, that the church took the slave girl under her wing. The Philippian jailer in his household. This is the church at Philippi. These are the people that you're thinking of when Paul's writing this letter. I'm just going to go through the first 11 verses. We read the first chapter, just wanted to read sort of a chunk of it. But if you've got a Bible implement of some sort, take it out. I want you to look at these first 11 verses. So um, as you're getting there, the jailer, Paul's probably like, put us back in jail. You're going to get in trouble. Must have been just an overnight uh, arrest because the next day the officials are like okay let them go Paul's like no have them come down here we're Roman citizens and this is a big deal 
that they're Roman citizens. We are residents of Rome. Like, we are naturalized citizens. Very few people. Everyone's got their visa or their green card, but very few are naturalized Roman citizens. Paul is. And Silas is. They beat Roman citizens in public and put us in prison. You know what I think Paul is doing here for the Philippians, for Lydia? It's like, I don't want you to live under the scourge of some rogue, sort of outcast criminal who's given you this this teaching that has formed this church. You need some status. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. In fact, I think as we go into the letter, we find out, yeah, they are in trouble. But at least Paul has established very publicly, I am not some uh, hillbilly preaching some you know, snake oil medicine kind of gospel. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm formally educated. You come down here and apologize to us as you let us out. So now that Lydia's associated with us and the jailer's associated with us, there's at least a little clout that it was at least a Roman citizen who brought this message to them. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. There's a plurality of leaders. You notice that with the overseer? It's not like, and to the head pastor. As far as we know in the New Testament, there were no senior pastors. There, there's a group of people that lead from a variety of gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love about our church is that we've chosen to be team-led without a senior pastor, I think it's a New Testament model that we see anytime Paul's referring to the church leaders, it's in the plural, uh, and doesn't call out any singular leader of leaders. Overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Paul loves these two words. He either starts or finishes or both with this. Grace. This idea, I think why Paul uses it over a hundred times, more than any other New Testament writer. Paul is fixated on this idea of favor that has no basis in merit or performance or works. He's the, he's the pastor to the Gentiles. Grace is God's favor to those who don't obey Moses' law, to those who have no real currency before God by their piety, grace, and peace. He may be writing peace in Greek, but he's thinking shalom in Hebrew. That's the good news, grace and peace. Peace with God. Shalom with God, wholeness, completeness. Shalom with one another. Shalom with yourself. Shalom with the earth, with creation. That's the good news, is that you 
you get the complete package of redemption, of deliverance, of healing between you and God, and you're healed between one another. And, be, and with the war you're waging with yourself, there's peace, self-love, and peace with the earth. Grace and peace is how he starts this letter and so many letters. He wants to remind us of that. I thank my God every time I remember you. This is a thank you letter. So Epaphroditus has come. Paul was in jail. Some debate about which of his periods in jail this letter was written from. Uh, it was the, the 50 AD um, that he brought the gospel to Philippi. He's in the 60s now. I mean the, the real 60s, the, the original Peter, Paul, and Mary 60s. Uh, so 10 years later, he's writing a thank you letter because he's in jail and Epaphroditus has brought help, money, food. You know, when you're in jail, you've got to provide for your own needs in a lot of places in the world today, even. Back then, Epaphroditus, they are following Paul. For 10 years, they've been sort of with him. He's, he's written a couple of letters that we don't have and stopped at least once again in Philippi. He left, it sounds like, because the, the part of Acts where Luke is saying, we and us, uh, then they went to Athens and Thessalonica and those places, so maybe Luke stays behind. So anyway, uh, they have remained connected to Paul, and he's thanking them. So he starts, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I think he's probably, there's some kind of affection here for the Philippian church. It's not that they're free from problems. It's just, I think maybe because they were the first European church, first church he planted in the West, he's not primarily in Asia Minor, Turkey. I just feel a specialness when I'm reading the letter to the Philippians. And he does all sorts of, I mean, he has very, uh, you know, gregarious and kind language for the Thessalonians too and other things. But I thank my God every time I remember you. Thanks for the gift, for Epaphroditus. Um, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I've had the privilege of working full-time as a minister of the gospel. Very rare privilege. I know what it's like to have people who are with you. Um, 35 years I've done. I've not really, I, am, I am hopelessly unemployable for any other job now. Like, I don't know where I could work because I have no work experience outside of working for the gospel. I know what it feels like. I, I can feel what Paul feels uh, when he says, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. There have been people who have been with me, with us for 35 years, giving faithfully, praying for us. There have been others who've chosen not to go, you know, so far. Some of them, um, you know, for good reason, financial or whatever. Others, like, I don't really like the organization you're working with. It's too liberal or it's too conservative, and so we can't give to you anymore, which I understand, fine with, but there are those. 
In fact, a couple came and stayed with us. We lived with them early on uh, in our marriage, right when I got this job. And so they were the first to start giving. They're still giving. We hardly see them. But they stayed with us this weekend. They're going to stay with us next. They're coming back through. There is something special about this partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence may not be wholly in the Philippians. It's his confidence in the Holy Spirit to sort of work stuff out. They still needed to work stuff out. I mean, this is a very pagan, if you will, or uh, a group of people who are historically unfamiliar with monotheism and with the message of God coming and dwelling among God's people. There are problems there. Paul get their their biggest problem seems to be some infighting, and Paul will get into that later. Um, but he's confident that that they're on this journey with their character, maybe a little, but with the Holy Spirit. Like God is going to complete the work in you. Um, I I sometimes, not often, think about what it would take to complete the work that God started in me. I either willingly entered into an anytime fitness ploy or fell prey to their advertising. But like six weeks for free, uh, we're going to get you in shape. Turns out it's not really for free. Um, But I have been working so hard for six weeks. Uh, Tomorrow's the end of this. Four times a week, I'm going in there, and I am working myself ragged. I mean, they've got good instructors, and they put you through the ringer. I mean, it's so intense. And then I've cut out every culinary pleasure you might imagine has been denied me for six weeks. I am working really hard for this thing. How hard am I working? to be complete in Christ, to be mature in Christ for that day. Like, if we knew that day, I think we'd probably, like, tomorrow is that day. So I'm going to drink four liters of water today to try to upset the, because they measure the percent fat. I think I can throw the machine off if I'm loaded with water. The percentage of fat will be lower. Like, for tomorrow. So I'm hour by hour, I'm planning, you know, and I will go work out today. And I will ride my bike to work tomorrow and then come. This motivation, I can taste it. Like, how can I stir up that motivation to be mature in Jesus? Like, what if I knew that day? Could I work for that day um, to be ready to be mature? Let's read on. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Somehow they're sharing in both the grace and the suffering we get later in the letter, as you heard Paul read, 
defending and confirming the gospel. Now, we probably don't have the same kind of, um, I don't know, persecution or scrutiny that Paul was experiencing in chains or that the Philippians were experiencing, but we do experience some kind of um, distancing. I feel it for being associated with Christianity. Some of it's well-earned, you know. I like to say Jesus loves attracting messed up people. That's why the church makes so many mistakes. It's just Jesus didn't come to hang out with all the cool people who had it all together. But there is also some defamation of Christianity that I think is not always earned. And so associating, uh, defending and confirming the, the good news. I can feel that. The part of that is that I kind of work for the church or whatever. So, you know, in the cocktail parties, you're asked what you, I, I don't I don't even know what a cocktail party is. Does anyone know what a cocktail party is? What is a cocktail dress? You know, that sounds sticky. I don't know what a cocktail dress at a cocktail party, but at cocktail parties or other gatherings, what do you do? Oh, uh, I work for a faith-based nonprofit called the University Christian Fellowship. Then the wall goes up like you can just see it. Boom. Okay, I'm associated with this thing that you've had some stuff, you've heard some stuff, some of it's probably true, some of it's not, but you already know you're putting me in this sort of camp. And I'm thinking, what does it mean to defend and confirm the gospel, the good news? I really honestly think it's good news. I think news about peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with one another, peace with the earth is great news. And I think they would think it's great news. I'm always wondering, how do I put this in a way that sounds good to them? (laughs) Defending and confirming the gospel is what Paul says of the Philippians. Can I be one of those defending and confirming the gospel's? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What kind of love do you have for one another? Is it a knowledgeable love? Is it an insightful love? In our church, in a lot of fellowships, it's the small group, it's the house group, it's the cell group. That's where we take the facade off and tell the truth about ourselves. As humbling and embarrassing as that can be, that's where we can be loved and known. That's where an insightful love can come because we've allowed ourselves to be known in vulnerable and fragile ways. He's praying that the love they have will grow as they know one another and are insightful so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
When you've got an insightful love, when you've got a knowledgeable love, you can discern what's best. I'm not sure how good we are at discerning what's best for us. We need that knowledgeable love and insightful love from someone next to us to say, I think this is what's best. And I want you to be motivated to see yourself, Tom, as pure and blameless. And therefore, I'm going to say this thing because I know you. I've got this insight and you're trying to discern this thing. And because we're in house group together and we love one another in that knowledgeable and insightful way, I'm able to discern with you what's best so that you can be pure and blameless. That's what, that's what motivates me. I've got this picture of Tom that is pure and blameless. He's almost there. But like, I can long for that. I can just, I can see it. I want that for you so bad because you've opened yourself up to me, been vulnerable with me. And I can see this fruit coming out of you, fruit of righteousness. Of course, the word righteousness, probably something along the social justice, personal piety combo. Like this kind of righteousness is both this great individual integrity and this amazing way to engage in society in order to produce something that's just and fair and good for everyone. That pure and blameless righteousness, fruit of righteousness coming out of Tom because I know him. I know he works in the university and I can see his influence the fruit of righteousness making its way out through his classroom and through his students and into the world. That kind of insightful and knowledgeable love is what Paul is praying for. Take a look at one another. Like, can you go ahead? Think of that person, like, in their best self. Can I imagine what a amazing gift of justice, what the personal integrity would look like in their lives if they were living pure and blameless. That's the sort of thing Paul's inspiring, calling forth, speaking into them. Shalom in them. You know, when Jesus said, I want you to go out, when you come into a home, say shalom to this place. Something will happen if you mean it. You speak shalom to a place, if there's a person of shalom, it's going to rest on them. That ability to, to speak shalom into one another's lives, to long for and discern what is right so that they can be pure and blameless on that day when anytime fitness is going to measure them. It's like that day, that day is coming. Revelation says, and the church has made herself ready. Can we make ourselves ready for that day? If I can be so motivated to lose 7.5% body fat in six weeks and to drink four liters of water today in order to retain some of like, I am just pushing myself. Can we do that for one another together as a church to make ourselves ready? That's the vision that Paul is speaking to the Philippians.
<laughs> it will happen. We will be pure and blameless. Don't say it won't happen. Yes, my, I'll, I'll, I'll let a few of you know when if I make that mark tomorrow. But it's that idea of like, thank you. I speak that. I'm just saying, I know what it's like to feel motivated for improvement. Can I feel that way about my spirit and about your spirit? And be super motivated because a day is coming. A great day and a terrible day. Let's motivate ourselves and one another. So conclusion, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, others go to Philippi for a few months and they see God move in a mighty way and the Philippian church becomes a cornerstone church. Can we be like that in this neighborhood, in the city of Madison, like the church at Philippi? Can we imagine ourselves as being fruitful, seeing people come to understand the messianic Judaism that we embody? This idea of a Messiah who's come brought good news, bringing peace with God, one another, ourselves, and with the earth. Can we be that outpost, not of the kingdom of America, but the kingdom of God? an outpost, not a Roman colony. Let's use colony in the best sense of the word. I know it's got a bit, but a heavenly colony. We're in a heavenly colony here on earth. Residence now. Also, just a note, because my wife is one of them, and I think I am too, overseers and deacons. Let's honor those guys like people who said no to a lot of things in order to say yes to care for you and to care for this community. What's it like to honor overseers and deacons? Like, almost like Paul expects a bit of honor that he who is burdened and carried them. Like, can we, if we're the Church of Philippi, how do we treat our elders and music leaders and house group leaders and stuff like we would expect the Philippian church to treat Paul? And then let's speak peace into being, especially in those places that don't know shalom. Let's go to those places and speak peace and grace, and let's abound in love for one another, not the superficial kind, knowledgeable, insightful love, where we are rooting for one another for that day to be pure and blameless. We are cheering one another on. We're discerning what's best. And we're opening up our lives to one another in scary uh, and vulnerable ways. That's all I want to say about the first 11 verses. Let's look further next week. <laughs>